Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Money and Stuff. I'm your host, Sam Rodriguez, uh, Certified Financial Planner. With me, as always, is Connor Shepard, browser of internet articles that always comes to us with, with something good to talk about. And I know you have one for us today. Uh, what do we got, Connor? Yep. Got another banger of an article here. Uh, <laughs> okay. Called... Yeah. So uh, this article is titled Nine Middle Class Money Traps That Keep You From Being Wealthy. And okay. Yeah. Let's go through them. Um, see if we agree, disagree, see if we have anything to say about it. Yeah. yeah? All Sounds right. Good. Number one. Number one, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. That's big, right? Uh, um, that's something that actually <laughs> I warn a lot of clients about as they start doing better financially, start making higher income. Um, and it's, I think we all know that keeping up with the Joneses is, is not a great idea, right? I mean, that's a that's a saying for a reason. Um, it's, a, it's a common issue, but I, I think really what what I see is as people do better um, income wise, right? <clears throat> um, it's not just keeping up with the Joneses. It's like it's like this lifestyle creep that begins to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you have more money so you can afford things. You see other people with nicer things than you, right? So you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm working really hard. I should probably do something for myself or, you know, if they have it, I can have it too. But I'll tell you, um, what I really warn people about is especially when they're moving neighborhoods, right? So I'll give you an example for myself, like the first house that my wife and I bought. And is that, can you hear all that? little bit so it's not like super strong like i, no, if I keep no, no, talking no. it's no big deal yeah okay no, i mean i only noticed it when you when when it was quiet okay so i'll i'll start with so i'll give you an example so i'll give you an example for myself when my wife and i got our first house right um the neighborhood we lived in if you pulled up and you had a brand new nissan or a brand new toyota right i mean felt pretty good about yourself you know mm-hmm. and then you know, as, as we started doing better, um, and we decided that, uh, there was a house in a neighborhood in particular that we really liked, uh, and we moved, I I started to notice that no one drove Nissans or Toyotas, right? Um, you know, people were driving higher end cars, like their everyday cars were BMWs and Lexuses. And then their cars for, you know, just going around having fun were these really expensive, um, more exotic cars. Right. And you start to get this feeling of like, well, you know, should I have this nicer car? Should I go get a, you know, a BMW or a Mercedes or a Lexus for my everyday car? Right. And it's, it's really, even for myself as someone who knows, um, the dangers of the trappings of spending all of your money on really nice things. And that's not to say having nice things is, is a bad thing. Right. Um, you know, if you're still saving, you're still able to be on track for your goals. It's fantastic, but just be aware that sort of emotionally and psychologically you get immersed in, I guess, sort of like a culture and there are some norms in that culture. And when you feel like you're not in the norm, you start feeling like you need to come into that norm. Right. And so a lot of times that means certain cars, certain vacations, and again, know that it's okay if you're going to spend money on these things and have nicer things and take nicer vacations, whatever it is, 
but it needs to not come at the sacrifice of you being able to continue to save for your goals. Yeah. I, I think that it really like the core of what makes that a money trap is what you were just talking about. It's not, it's not an intentional series of actions, right? Like keeping up with the Joneses, like you said, I don't know a single person who would sit there and say, yeah, I am trying to compete with luxury goods that I have with my neighbor. It's right. something that people sort of slide into as yeah. they want to fit in, as they feel like, hey, you know, we got to keep up with our neighbors. And it's that lack of awareness that really leads to falling into the trap. So it, as long as you're saving and as long as you're self-aware about that, um, like you said, it's not not to say that having luxury goods or purchasing luxury uh, or higher end uh, goods is a bad thing. It's just as long as it's not at the expense of your right. financial security. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to make sure that um, those expenses are worked into any sort of longer term plan that you have. Right. And that you're really in a spot where being able to afford those things makes sense. Yeah, number two. Number two. <laughs> spending money without saving or investing. Yeah. So, you know, if you go back to episode one, right. And if you guys are seeing me look off cameras, cause I'm looking at the same article. Uh, but if you go back to episode one and we talk about the four things you have to do in order to generate wealth for yourself, saving is obviously one of them, but they go in a certain order and saving always needs to come before your spending, right? If you can save first, then pay your bills then decide how you spend your discretionary income. You'll never overspend, right? Where I guess you could if you then put, are putting things on debt, but let's assume that you're only spending what you make, mm -hmm. right? So it's like give money, uh, save money, pay your bills, then spend your discretionary money. But that savings, that savings really needs to be your priority. Your priority needs to be, I'm putting some money into savings first. And, you know, I see all of these ads of financial advisors trying to talk to you about why your 401k is bad. And I think those are really um, just attention grabbers trying to get you to do something with them. Right. But the reason I think your 401k is fantastic is because it gets taken out of your paycheck before you ever see that money. Yeah. Right. You know, I was talking with my son over the weekend. We were talking about strengths and weaknesses and, you know, things he wants to accomplish this year in high school. And some of the things he's sort of frustrated with himself about that he's not very good at, right? Like um, organization and things like this. And I, you know, something like, hey, it's, it's okay um, to have weaknesses, right? So you can do two things about your weaknesses. You can either work on them and try to get better at them, or you can set up systems and processes that sort of compensate for your weakness. Yeah. Right. And in this case, 401k taking money out of your paycheck before you ever receive it, that's that process that allows you to save money consistently without you having to physically make the decision of, man, for me, it'd be like ice cream, right? Am I going to spend money on ice cream every day yeah. <laughs> or am I going to put some money away? That's a silly example, but being able to put that money away first is, is absolutely vital. And if you don't have a 401k available to you or you need to be saving beyond your 401k, you need to have some sort of system set up that takes that money into savings before you ever start spending your money. Yeah. I, I mean, eliminating the steps between money that you earned coming in and going into that savings into that 401k, 
the more of that, the in-between you can eliminate, the less chances you're going to give yourself to come up with an excuse on how to spend that money and not save it. Yeah. And the 401k is just the ideal version of that where it's just being pulled out of your paycheck before you even see your full, full paycheck. Yeah. So. You just need a system, right? Like what I find is that the majority of people that are spending every bit of money that they make, it's because it's there, it's in their account. So they spend it. Right. And it's always, I'll save next month. I'll save next month. I'll save next month. Right. So if you set up a system where the money's not there, you're less likely to overspend. What's number three? Number three, settling for the status quo, really just feeling like you're, the position you're in is good enough. That's a tough one. I mean, I can see it, right? Especially, you know, to tell you a little bit about myself, someone who, you know, basically I'm, what I'm trying to say is as someone who wasn't really middle-class coming up, right? You can feel like you made it. You can feel like I'm here, you know, I'm here. Great. Let's just settle in. Everything's fine. Um, and I, I want to say this first is there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being content and happy with where you are, right? That, that, so I, I'm not sure that I really like this one, but I do know if, um, if you want to become like wealthy, there always needs to be some sort of drive yeah. to push yourself further. And, and especially when it, when it comes to being wealthy, I say this in, in meetings all the time, like we've got two solutions. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we can do, but it always comes down to two basic things. We can either save more from what you're currently making. Or you can make more money so that way we can save more. And I think what this one's trying to say is you get complacent with the money that you're making. You feel financially secure so you don't work harder to try to get that promotion or you know, try to strive for more to make more money. I, I see that. I can, I, I can see that. But, um, man, I mean, but I if think you're happy, <laughs> I mean. I, th I think it, it, it's what you said, though, about complacency. Like, I think. You're absolutely right. Inherently, there is nothing wrong with from getting to where you are and deciding, you know what, I'm happy with this and I don't want to have to sacrifice more time or whatever it is. Right. This is, I'm good with this. I think the complacency aspect is where it becomes an issue. It's for people that maybe they start doing well, but they don't change any of their behaviors uh, mm. that they need for growing that wealth or saving more. It's something where mm. they're just used to what where they are and continue to spend and um like hey i'm making more so i'm spending more exactly yeah 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 kind of getting out of that cycle yeah yeah all right what's number four number four relying on yourself for everything and this one this one i kind of understand because it's it's mainly just talking about how there's a it seems like a lot of middle class uh people's think that they need to be able to do everything themselves, solve their problems or find solutions themselves. And wealthier individuals will leverage professionals that, or sure. use, using people who know how to do that better than you. Yeah. You know, I wasn't quite sure where this one was going, but, but, I, but I agree. It's a, it's a mindset I had to get out of myself. So I'm going to take a really easy example and talk about taking care of your, your, your lawn, cutting your own grass. I didn't want to spend the money to pay somebody else to cut my grass um, because I could do it. Right. And then we, we took a trip. We were gone for like a couple of weeks and someone was going to have to cut the grass. So we hired somebody. And when we got back, I was like, you know, I'm exhausted. 
you know, let's let them cut it one more week. And then I was like, hey, this is actually pretty nice. There were some benefits to it. Number one is you got to think about what would you be doing with your time if you weren't doing that specific thing? Mm-hmm. And when I looked at it and what my time was worth and what I could be doing with that time. And for me, I was always doing it on the weekends. So what it meant was I could spend more time with my family. And if I could spend more time with my family on the weekends, I would feel less guilty about working really hard during the week and maybe, you know, working an extra hour or two during the week to grow the business even more. So there's that aspect, you know, thinking about hiring people that can do things for you that would allow you to do other things so that way you can generate more income. There's that. But then the other thing too, it kind of goes back to what we said a second ago about systems and processes that help you improve, right? Which is things like, you know, does paying someone to help me with something actually help me get somewhere faster or more efficiently? And in our case, you know, I mean, people know they need to save. Sure. Why do I need an advisor? Well, (laughs) um, you know, if all we're doing is talking about saving, sometimes that accountability alone makes a tremendous difference. It's like going to the gym on your own or going to the gym with a friend and you know your friend is going to be at the gym waiting for you. You're going to show up. And then when you're at the gym, it's, it's like coming up with your own program or hiring a trainer that knows exactly what you need to do to hit your goals and is making sure you do all of those things. Yeah. Right. So it's not, and it's not just making sure that you do the things, but it's making sure that you know exactly what you should be doing. Paying someone to help you with in areas where you are not an expert can help you jumpstart and sort of leap past where you would be if you were trying to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that things can't be done on your own. They certainly can, but sometimes it makes sense to, to hire someone else to do it. I was trying to explain this to, uh, to a guy who's a business owner or, or, you know, he started a business and I was asking him, you know, what was really holding him back from growing his business even more. <clears throat> and this was just, this isn't a client. This is someone that I met. And he was, he was saying it really had to do with money. He needed, um, he was starting a moving company. He needed more trucks. He needed to hire people. Um, he saw what he could do to grow the business, but he needed more capital. So I started asking him um, if he's ever considered, you know, taking on investors, people who, who could help him buy trucks, people who could uh, help him uh, with money he needed to hire people so that way he could take on more jobs and expand quicker. And his mindset was, but I don't want to have to give up any of my profits. And I, can, I, I do understand that. And I was trying to explain to him how sometimes one and one can equal three. That if you set it up, you know, and you do the math of what, like how quickly you can accelerate, how much faster you can get there and how much more you could do, that your income would increase quite a bit faster, even if like, so let's say he was keeping 60% of the profits instead of 100% of the profits, but his profits were now 200% more. Well, then it makes more sense. Yeah. Right. But that's a mindset shift that you've got to take on of maybe it doesn't always have to be me. You know, and it's okay. It's okay to, to go to someone and say, you're an expert. I'm not. Help me do this. And I, th- you know, I think um, that is something that, that wealthy people know. Wealthy people know that their time is valuable. Their time is better spent doing other things that generate income or that increase their business. And that it makes sense to find other people that do things more efficiently and effectively than they can. So that way they can get somewhere quicker and faster and, and have much better results. Yep. Time value. Right. I mean, I think that hits the nail on yeah. the head. What's the next one? Next one is failing to take advantage of investing. Yeah, that's easy, right? I mean, I, I feel like that's the same as saving. I was just going to say, it's it's a lot of the same yeah. points of- You know, I, I think what can be different though is uh, people can be scared of investing. They see the ups and downs of the market and they're scared, uh, you know, especially um, if you've worked, you know, if you've worked really hard for that money, you don't want to lose it. 
So you're scared to put it into the market. You're scared to invest that money. You're scared you're going to lose it. Um, but from an investing standpoint, if, if you look at things, is there the chance for loss? Yes. And actually, I'm going to say it's not a chance. You're going to lose money. <laughs> the market goes down, but the market also goes up. It's all a matter of time. Like we talk about this a lot, like time. How much time do you have? And if you're investing money that you don't need today, given enough time, typically what happens is it comes back and, and becomes even more. Yeah. And the idea around things, things falling in value, you know, you've got to think of the, the market and investing the same as if you had a product that you, that you had to buy wholesale and then go back and sell later for a profit. When things fall, you want to buy as much as possible because whatever your end date is going to be, that's where the price is going to be. Mm -hmm. What you buy it at now will determine how much money you make between now and then. So if you can buy it at a lower price, then actually when everything is bad and everything and everybody's scared and you're the most scared, that's probably the time when you should really be the most aggressive in your investing. And when I say aggressive in your investing, I mean aggressive in putting money in, in, into investing. I mean, obviously don't invest money that you're going to need soon or that you need to pay your bills in a week or two, money that you're thinking about long-term. Uh, but yeah, I, bet, I, I could understand that a lot of people would be worried because they see, hey, it's possible. <clears throat> it's possible that I could lose money. Um, but again, I, th I think the way to make it up, right? Even if, even if you watch your money fall, the way to make that up quicker is to put more money in while it's down. Yeah. Right? Because you're buying a lot more. You're basically buying a lot more inventory that you're going to sell at a price later. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Helping people, like for people to understand that as long as you know your time horizon for investment, how long, you know, basically how long the money is just going to be in there until you need it. Um, the values in between now and that end point are really just irrelevant towards your end goal. The most important thing is the time and consistency. All right. What's the next one, man? All right. Number six is re relying on credit cards and expensive and or expensive debt. Yeah, we might have to break this into two parts. We're going long. All right. <laughs> relying on credit cards or other expensive debt. I mean, I think that has to do with kind of what we're talking about with lifestyle creep, like you're spending more than you spending more than you make. Yeah. Right. And, and I would say it also has to do with not saving because one, one of the first things you need to do when you start saving is creating an emergency fund. Yeah. Right. Because you may be saying, Hey, you know, I make good money, but then this happened, my air conditioner broke or had to fix the car, whatever it is, uh, you know, an unexpected expense that happens that, that was out of the norm month to month basis. And so you put money on credit card or you want to take a vacation, right? I mean, I think what most people think of is spending money you don't have on, on things you can't afford to do, like going out or taking vacations, whatever it is, right? But for a lot of people, it starts off with, I had an unexpected expense. Yeah. And that's where having an emergency savings comes into play. Yeah. Having some money set aside that if something unexpected happens this month, you're not having to go into debt to take care of that. Yeah. What's, it, what's after that, man? Oh, go ahead. You have something? Well, I was just going to say, I think, you know, it, it just ties in well with that the other problem or the other trap of spending without saving or investing it, it, it's just a lot of these are, I think, cases of people taking actions or spending, but not being self-aware of mm -hmm. what they're doing. Like you said, it's a, a sudden expense comes up. They don't have enough saved or they don't have an emergency fund. So they need a credit card to make up the difference and it just continues in those 
almost in a cycle like that where, okay, I'm not going to use the credit card. Oh, well, I had an, another expense come up that I wasn't expecting. Okay. Need it. And it, it digs you deeper into that hole. Yeah. And then before you know it, you have this monthly credit card payment you've got to make, which is on top of all the other monthly expenses you have. And, and, and so what's going to give? Your savings is going to give. Yeah. All right. What's, what's the next one? Uh, renting instead of buying. So I'll say this. For a lot of Americans, their home is their biggest asset. And for a lot of families, one generation deciding to own a home is their start to creating wealth in their family, mm -hmm. right? Because even if they did no other savings, if they bought and paid for a house and they pass that on to the kids, they've created, um, they've created an inheritance that gets to pass on to their kids that their kids then can either use that home, you know, maybe as a rental property for extra income or sell it to give them a start on their savings. So mm -hmm. buying is a fantastic, uh, or buying a house is a fantastic way to, to, to help start building wealth. Mm -hmm. However, it's not the only way, right? And I think when we look at it, you have to think about what the scenario is. So let's say you're buying a house and your mortgage is here. And then you have someone who's renting. I think it, it just depends on how much you spend on rent. Because what if you're renting and you're spending the same amount? I can see in that case that it probably would have made more sense to buy. Yeah. Because at least you're, you're creating equity. Yeah. But if you rent at a lower price, right, and you can save that difference, then, you know, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say, if, if renting allows you to save more. Yeah then it's not necessarily true that buying is better. And I know a lot of this depends on what area of the country you're in. In some places, it's much, much cheaper to rent than it is to buy. And in other places, it's cheaper to buy than it is to rent. And sometimes that depends on interest rates. When interest rates were really low a few years ago, it was hard to make the case for renting because you could, you know, your mortgage was so low because your interest rate was so low. So it was like, yeah, buy a house, start building equity. So little is going to interest. But now that interest rates are in the sixes and sevens, I mean, it's, it's tough to, I don't want to say it's tough to justify. Like, again, buying, I think is a fantastic way to build wealth. But, um, but if you can rent for less and save money, yeah, then, then maybe it makes sense. So yeah, I don't I want to spend too, too much time on it. I was just going to say, I think, I, well, you're absolutely right. I think the key in that is, you know, renting is not necessarily, uh, or renting can be better than buying in circumstances, but it, the key to it is using that opportunity to save, using mm -hmm. the time that you're renting as a, to build your savings. Yeah, we need to do an episode on this because I have a lot of other thoughts on it, but let's move on for the sake of time. Uh, <laughs> what, we got two more? What, two more. what do we got? Uh, number eight thinking you need a high salary. What, what does that mean? Like you're not saving because you think you need to be making more? I guess uh, you don't need to have a high salary to, to become wealthy. You just have to spend less than you make. Okay, I see. Yeah. So that's what right. they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, that's all it is, right? Like, <laughs> you know, when I, when I tell people uh, what I do for a living, you know, sometimes people will ask, like, what's the secret? You know, what, what do you know that I don't know? I'm like, you know, there's really no secret. Uh, you know, if, if nothing else, the key is just spend less, save more, right? I mean, we've seen people who make millions of dollars a year not be able to sustain their lifestyle. Um, and then we've seen people who make just an average or even below average salary, but they saved consistently, do really well for themselves in retirement. 
Mm-hmm. So you you don't you don't have to have a high salary in order to become wealthy. You just have to make good decisions with your money. Yeah, it's what we always talk about with like the habits. You know, it, it's the behaviors and the habits. And if you can establish those, like even if you don't make that much money, you can still set yourself up for success. Yeah, 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 right. And I mean, I know it's a balance. I mean, you could always if 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 you could live a lifestyle that you were fine sacrificing anything you enjoy doing, so that way you could save. Okay, but I know that that's not sustainable. So it's finding the balance between enjoying life and saving money, right? It's it's, and I think it's always it's always like making informed decisions. I, I feel like that always helps. If I save this amount, it will result in X. That's always for me. It's it's easy to stay motivated if I know what the end result is. Yeah. If I don't know what the end result is, it always kind of feels like, why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah, gives you more more opportunity to second guess it or change change your mind. Yeah. So what's the last one? Last one, having no long-term plan. That one makes makes sense. I feel like we just said be it. A trap. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we just said you got to know what the end result is. Um, yeah, and that's what I meant. Like these kind of, several of these kind of uh, Venn diagram type of overlap. Yeah. But, yeah, so overall, I mean, yeah, it's an okay article. I feel like they stressed it out. Like this could have been three things. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I would, I would agree. <laughs> There's probably some study out there that said more people click if it's nine than... You know, maybe it was written by AI. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no long term plan. That is true. Right. I I think otherwise you just sort of do things haphazardly. You you think, oh, I should save. Oh, I should pay down debt. Oh, I should make more. But you have no idea how much you should save. You have no idea how you should focus your payments on that debt. Um, You have no idea, you know, what amount it's going to take for you to set yourself up later on to, to actually build wealth. And so having a plan, and then this goes back to hiring people who have knowledge. I mean, for us, that's that's a huge part of what we have to do for people is taking all of those unknowns and making them as known as possible. So that way you can make really informed decisions on what your next action steps need to be. And because if you have a well laid out plan, it's much easier to stick with because you can't stick with a plan if you don't have a plan. <laughs> and if and if those those laid out steps tell you exactly where you're going to be, when if, if you take those steps, it's easy to stay motivated and get it done. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap this up. It's okay. taking much longer than I thought. Maybe maybe we'll do some future episodes on like uh, one of these one of these points because I think there were a few that would be uh, we could spin a yarn, as they say. Sure, sure. I'm sure people would appreciate our episodes being a little shorter as well, and then we'll figure it out. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon.